Well, yes and amen. That's a way to start a new book of the Bible, isn't it, right? This is awesome. Man, if it's your first time here, this is a great Sunday to be here. Um, each time of the year, we sort of take the beginning part of the fall and do a vision series and just look at who we are as a church and where are we going. And this year, after much prayer and sort of reading through certain books of the Bible, just felt like the Lord kept leading us to the book of Acts to sort of see this with the new transitions that we have as a church and everything that God is doing. I wanted to take us back here. And, and there's a particular reason why when it comes to the book of Acts. Um, maybe, maybe this story will help. Over really the past, I would say, um, year or so, um, our oldest son, Roman, has really been into knowing sort of like our family history. And so um, we've unfortunately had over the past year and a half um, a few family members pass. And, and when that happens, it inevitably sort of starts the conversation of, well, you know, who were their parents and who were their parents? And have your kids ever done that? Like, who is your dad and mom? And, and who is your dad and mom? And, and who is their dad and mom and everything like that? And Roman just sort of um, caught fire when it comes to understanding the family history. And through a lot of other people talking uh, in the church and recommending something to him, um, Romans stumbled up on Ancestry.com, right? So maybe you guys um, have, have done this or, or been a part of this. And so he downloaded the app and sort of signed up and did all this stuff. We were even visiting family uh, down in Kennett, and we went to the local library there, and I kind of showed him uh, where we grew up and where we did everything. And in the old bank vault there at the Kennett Library is actually all of the records and all of like the family history stuff, the senses and everything like that. And so as I'm walking around the library, I'm like, where's Roman? And I look and he's up front talking to the main librarian lady. And, and, and I walk up in mid-conversation and, and I walk up and I hear Roman say, yeah, that would be great. Just give him a call and tell him to come up here. I was like, what are we, what? Who are we calling? What are we? And I go, Bubba, what are you doing? Uh, and, and he goes, well, um, the, the, the curator of all of that stuff is on their way up here. And they're going to give me access to all the senses and sort of everything like that. And I'm like, and so, you know, granddaddy was there with us. And so it was about an hour that he got to spend and hang out. And the guy even recommended, he said, man, you need to go to Ancestry.com and figure this out. And so really over the past year and a half, he's been plugging in family members, chasing things all the way back. Um, I guess we're like fifth or seventh cousins to Jesse James at one point, which is cool. But I feel like everybody's told that. Were you told that at one point? Like you're kin to Jesse or something. I don't know. I think in Missouri, it just kind of all roads lead there on something. But the cool thing about this is Ancestry.com has really struck a chord with people. Um, it's one of the most successful businesses. As a matter of fact, they have like a new DNA test. Um, 26 million people have actually taken that DNA test and you trace your family heritage and history. But I love their tagline and their big idea. It's their mission statement. Ancestry.com's thesis of why they exist is simply this. Every family has 
a story. Every family has a story. It's there on their website. Now, why are we talking about Ancestry.com when we're talking about the book of Acts? Because I want you to think that the book of Acts is the church's Ancestry.com. The book of Acts is the history of the birth, the conception, and the expansion of the church of Jesus Christ. We see that the gospel literally begins here and then begins to spread out. We see Jesus telling the disciples and the apostles, wait, don't go yet because you need the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and then Pentecost happens. Please listen to me. What is so amazing about what happens in the book of Acts is that literally because of what took place in the book of Acts, you are sitting where you are in Butler County, Missouri in 2021 singing praises to Jesus Christ because a revolution began in the book of Acts. It's incredible. And so we're looking at history, but why? Well, we saw it. History shapes our identity. History shapes our identity. I mean, just like at Thanksgiving and Christmas when you get the family around the table and you begin to share stories, that is who you are as a family. And some of us even struggle when it comes to talking about the past or when it comes to talking about history. Because some of us think that our past defines us and that, you know, the divorce or the addiction or the, you know, can I just say this? This isn't even in my notes. Um, your past doesn't define you. And that's good news. Your past doesn't define you, but it does explain you. It's the reason why we respond the way that we do to things. It's the reason why we are where we are. And what we're going to do in this series is we're going to go back to the roots. We're going to look at where the church began and then all through this series, we're going to ask ourselves, is this who we are today? Is the church that we see on the pages of Scripture in the book of Acts, is that the church that we are today? I'm a fan of history. I think a lot of people are. Um, but traditionally, there's really only like three types of people that study history. Um, like historians, scholars, admirers. And then there's soldiers. And when we come to the book of Acts, there's a great fear that I have. Um, one of them is, is that we study it in the past tense. That we say things like, look at what God did back then. This is what the church was. This is what God did. Um, how should we study it? Well, I think there's really three ways that we shouldn't study it. The first one is this. Um, we shouldn't study it like cold historians. We shouldn't just go back and sit in our ivory tower and go, well, look at what God did back then. Yes, this is the history of the church of Jesus Christ. And clearly the Baptists began with John the Baptist. <laughs> right? Or anything like that. I'm just... 
just not interested in always arguing about church history and, well, we're this denomination because, brother, amen, and you're supposed to love Jesus, but you're like really mad about it, and I don't want to do that. Um, I also don't want to do it as like a casual admirer. Somebody that's just um, really excited to kind of look at what God did back then as sort of like a fan and you're able to sort of tell of the history. I want to study the book of Acts like a committed soldier. I want to study the book of Acts and ask God, are we doing this today? Listen, can I just all full cards on the table today? I'm so excited to start this book of the Bible. We, we sort of just always study books of the Bible here, but I'm really excited about this because my prayer, listen, my prayer is this. When I look and read in Acts and I see people getting healed, I want God to do that now. When I see Peter stand up and say, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you call upon the name of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, that you will be freed from anything. I want to see God do it now. I want to see God spread the gospel out in Butler County into the surrounding counties. Listen, I want Westside to be a church that could be found in the book of Acts. Here's what I'm trying to say. The goal is not to just study church history. The goal is to study church history so we can make church history. That's what I want to do. I want our story to be added to this. That what we see in the pages of the book of Acts is the baton getting passed down. And the question is this for us. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with the legacy that's been handed to us? So here we go. We're going to dive in, okay? This is how we always start and sort of study a book of the Bible. If you're ready, turn to your neighbor and say, jump, jump, jump. Here we go. We're ready to jump in, all right? So here's the context. Here's the context. This is actually um, volume two. So the book of Acts is part two of Luke's writing. So Luke, maybe you're a non-Christian, maybe you didn't grow up in church. Listen, I just want to put the jelly on the bottom shelf today, okay? Luke was a biographer who wrote one of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. So there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what the Gospels are is they are a biography from individual people about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Luke writes his first Gospel, which bears his name. Now, what we know through Luke's gospel is that he's writing to this guy's name Theophilus, right? Um, Listen, you can be mad at your parents about a lot of things in life, but they didn't name you Theophilus, okay? So you're good, all right? But what historians sort of believe is that Theophilus might have been maybe a non-believer or someone who was questioning Christianity, And, and he probably wasn't Jewish, he was a Gentile, so he hires Luke to be sort of like an investigative journalist. That's what Luke is doing. That's why in Luke chapter 1, the first two verses, he says that I've set out to give an orderly account of the things that Jesus has done. And he tells us right there in verse 1, he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So listen, it's, it's the continuation of that. And did you know, fun fact, that Luke, with his gospel, 
and the book of Acts writes more of the New Testament than any other author. That's how big these two volumes are. The date is somewhere around 70 to 80 AD. That's important, and you'll learn about it in just a second. Um, the purpose, why is he writing it? Well, we know that he's probably like an investigative journalist, and he's writing to people so they can have certainty. So check this out. What we know is that when we see like... Um, the, the birth narrative of Jesus, the Christmas story, if you will. Every time we see Charlie Brown, every Christmas, read that and all that good stuff. We know that Luke went and interviewed Mary. How cool would that be? Like, he asked her questions, and then what did the angel say? And the angel said to me that I was pregnant. And I was like, what? Right? Like all kinds of stuff. So Luke goes around and either interviews the person that was there as an eyewitness or interviews other people that were there. Here's the reason why I'm spending so much time on this. Please don't miss this. Listen, the Bible that you hold in your hand, you can believe with certainty. You can believe in certainty. Listen, this is not a book of fairy tales. And listen, if you have beef with the Bible, it has to be more than just a five-minute YouTube clip that you saw where some guy was like, well, I don't really believe the Bible. Listen, we can back up the events that have happened in the Scripture with history. And this is what Luke is doing. But it's the continuation of volume one. And really, the book of Acts is a breakdown and fulfillment of what Jesus says in Luke 24. Listen to these words. And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Hey, that's good news, right? You probably should have said amen, because that's about Jesus beating death and raising from the grave. So I'll read it again, and you'll go, amen. Okay, ready? Here we go. And he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Amen. Right? And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. What the book of Acts is, is a fulfillment of the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples. And that literally, when Jesus says in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, that that's the outline for the book. You could literally put a map and uh, the book of Acts over each other and it would break down in sequence as to what it is. So what's the purpose? Why are we studying the book of Acts? Well, it's this. Acts shows the ordinary people of God filled with the Spirit of God, proclaiming the kingdom of God to their neighbors and the nations. That's the book of Acts. And please listen to me. When I see that, it gets me really excited because we are a product of people being faithful to that mission. Um, I posted something on social media this week, but every time I think about the book of Acts... Um, I think about the classic 80s movie, The NeverEnding Story, right? 
The never-ending story. Do we have any never-ending story fans in here? Just raise your hands, right? Atreyu. I mean, come on. This is awesome stuff. But, the, but this is a remake, or uh, it's actually a movie of a book. And, and it starts out like this. A little boy is in a bookstore, and he loves adventures, and he loves great stories. And he sees the owner of the bookstore reading this really, really cool book. And he asks if he can read it. And then this is the conversation that the bookstore owner says to him. He asks him, do you read other books? And he goes, yes, I read Treasure Island. I read The Greats. And then the store owner says this, your books are safe. You see, while reading them, you get to become Tarzan or Robinson Crusoe. And then the little boy says, but that's what I like about them. And the store owner says, ah, but you see, afterwards, you get to be a little boy again. But this story, this story never ends. That's what the book of Acts is. And listen, just full cards on the table in the weeks and the month to come. We're going to be in Acts all the way up to Christmas. There's going to be things that we're going to be wrestling with as a congregation. We're going to be seeing God do miraculous things in the book of Acts. And then we're going to ask him to do the same thing in the here and in the now. But listen, here's the sentence. By studying the book of Acts, we find our role in the never-ending story that God is writing. Here's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in what your role in this story is. Please listen to me. Your life, oh, please don't miss this. Your life is so much more than whatever's going on in your life right now. It's so much more than mortgages, than what's going on in the news, than COVID, whatever drama. Listen, your life, you were created on purpose and with a purpose. And you have a role in this story that God is writing. And just to show you... Um, how this story fits into the larger story. I'm going to, can you help me with this? I want to show you guys how all the way from the book of Acts to where you're sitting right now in Popper Bluff, Missouri, in Butler County, how it connects. So we saw in the video of, of sort of like a little timeline of important events. And if Acts is the continuation of the story that God is writing, how does it end up here in our laps right now in 2021 in Butler County? Well, um, obviously an important date is 33 AD because Jesus Christ of Nazareth is crucified. And this is recorded in Roman history. Um, you can check this out through Josephus, who records that there was a Galilean, a man who had a great following, who taught, who was murdered by the Roman government. And Josephus, a Roman historian, even says himself that it appears that this Galilean rose from the grave because they can't find his body. They don't know where he's at. And so this sparks some controversy, which leads us to 40 days later. And 40 days later, the Holy Spirit descends. Pentecost. 
And we see that these ordinary disciples begin speaking in the language of other nations. And now the gospel is proclaimed and heard by an Ethiopian, by people in surrounding nations and surrounding countries. Things begin to change. And then the next date that we see as it continues is 49 A.D. That's Acts 17. That's the first church council. The first church council in Acts 17 is they convene together and they say, wait a second, wait a second. Can you be a follower of Jesus without being Jewish? Without having to go through the Jewish ceremonial rites? And some people are like, no, um, you can't be a follower of Jesus unless you're Jewish. And then other people are like, no, 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 you don't have to be Jewish. This is the new covenant. And then there's this scene that's like in a Steven Spielberg movie where it says that the brother of Jesus, James like steps up in the church council and he speaks and he says that this gospel's for the whole world and that Jews and Gentiles are called into God's kingdom. It is a very, very important date. And then as we continue on in 69 AD for the two nerds that care in the room, Saint Ignatius is commissioned as the first pastor of a church who's not a direct apostle of Jesus Christ. And so we see this. You can actually still go to the church this day. Now, a couple hundred years is unfolding during this timeline, and Christianity is still maturing. And then one of the most important dates that we see is 325 A.D., and we have the Council of Nicaea, which is where we get the Nicene Creed from. And so what this is, is to clarify what Christianity is. Because it's spreading to other countries, and it's going to other places. And then false gospels begin to pop up. And pastors and teachers are like, wait a second. That's not the message that we've received from the apostles. So the church formally comes together and clarifies everything that takes place. After that happens, we see a massively important date, which is about 380 which is when Constantine makes Christianity the national religion of Rome. So up until this point of about 380 AD, Christianity had no buildings. They met in homes or in the Jewish synagogues. So question, what do great rulers and political figures do in order to leave their heritage? Statues or buildings, baby, right? Because they know if they build those, that will outlast how long they live. And for the first time, something happens with this Christianity thing. And now a lot of people question even was Constantine really a believer? But at this point in 380, listen guys, we're not talking a couple hundred years that a majority of Rome claimed to be Christians. Rodney Stark, a historian, says that through the history of humanity, we have never seen a movement spread like Christianity. And do you know how it spread? Not through the powerful. The majority of the Roman population were also outcasts, slaves, and poor. 
It was always identifying themselves with the marginalized people. So from 380 AD, we move on to 397 AD, which is the Council of Carthage. Why is Carthage important? Because the Council of Carthage is where they close the canon of the scriptures. So that's why we have these 66 books um, written by 44 different authors over three continents, multiple languages, one hero, Jesus Christ. And so that's where they say these letters we can trace back not from a few hundred years to the people that wrote them. Listen, this is why this is so important to understand. If you take any other religious text, any other religious text, it is hundreds and even thousands of years late of being written down from when the actual event happened. But what we have in Christianity is these things being recorded not even a hundred years after it happened. And in ancient literature, that is a big deal. So from the Council of Carthage, we move on to 451 AD which is another council about the deity of Jesus Christ. Was he fully God? Was he fully man? Was he half God, half man? Like 7%, 6%? And from that one is where we get um, the uh, Nicene, or I'm sorry, the Chalcedonian Creed, where we get Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in order to fully bridge the gap between God and man. So now at this point, Christianity is still continuing to spread and then it happens. Turn to your neighbor and say, uh-oh, uh-oh. We have a church conflict in 800 AD. The, I'm telling you, church fights and church conflicts go way back, okay? <laughs> way back, right? What we have in 800 AD is one of the first conflicts where now we get the Roman Catholic Church because there was some confusing and this, and who has the power here. And so now there was a pretty streamed line faith. But now what we have is in 800 AD, we begin to have tribes forming within Christianity, which is heavily influential upon where they live. So around this time also, in about 1000 AD, we have um, the Russian Orthodox Church, right? And guess what? They're like still doing the same thing that they did then, all right? Um, nothing's really changed with the Russian Orthodox Church. They're still doing the exact same thing. But what we see is the gospel now spreading far and wide and having massive social implications. And then there is the very sad part of the 1200s where we get the Crusades. Um, this is not a flattering part of church history, but it's something that we can't deny. Um, what Augustine said is that the church is not perfect, and he uses strong language, but she is my mother. And in 1200 AD, we see the Crusades, and we see men take a vow to be a follower of Jesus Christ and go into villages and murder people who wouldn't convert to Christianity. But, there's this remnant. There's still the purity of the message that's there. This thing keeps spreading and it keeps moving. And then if you fast forward a little bit more, we get to 1492. 
What happened in 1492? Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? It paid off. It paid off. You were like, I'll never use that again. And then here you are in church, right? So we have Columbus who's commissioned to go out and expand this empire and find more land. He thinks he's in a certain place. He's not this, that, and the other. But now we see a whole new landmass. We see all types of new people involved with this. So now commerce, trade, all of these things are happening. But something significant happens back in Rome in 1517. You see, now up to this point, Christianity has become institutionalized. Please listen to me. Christianity in the church of Jesus Christ is not an organization. The church of Jesus Christ is an organism. It is a living, breathing thing. And no nation and no institution can claim its own right to it. Because it is the Lord's. And what we see at this point is there were horrible things happening and the church needed to be reformed. And so a monk in a monastery by the name of Martin Luther writes down 95 reasons why he believes the Roman Catholic Church has veered away from the pages of Scripture. And in Wittenberg, Germany, he nails it to the Catholic Church door. I mean, how gangster is that, right? 95, and he's a monk, 95 reasons, and he nails it and just drops the hammer, right? I don't know if he dropped the hammer. That's the way I see it in my mind anyway. And it sparks all types of controversy. Up until this point, people couldn't even read the Bible in their own language. But because of Martin Luther now, William Tyndale begins to translate the Bible in the common language. And, and it's said through history that Luther unchained the Bible from the Roman Catholic Church's pulpit. And the common person now had access to the scriptures and knew what their role was in the story. This sparks all kinds. And the gospel begins to spread and begins to spread. And then in 1529 A.D., we have the Church of England splits from the Roman Catholic Church because King, listen, because King Henry, um, he wanted to divorce his wife. <laughs> and the Roman Catholic Church was like, you can't do that. And he was like, well, you know what? I'm going to start my own church, buddy. Okay, that's kind of what happened. And so now we have the Church of England. But what we see is that the Church of England begins to send out missionaries. And what we see is happening back on that continent of going back and forth from when Columbus sailed in 1492 to 730 A.D., we see what's known as the First Great Awakening. Because a man from the Church of England by the name of John Wesley, who was ordained through the Church of England, was on a missionary journey coming over to this landmass that was found to convert these unknown people. And as he began to preach, he realized that the church again needed reforming. And so through guys like John Wesley, George Whitfield, um, Jonathan Edwards, we have the first great awakening, which actually sparks. Did you know Yale was actually formed and founded as a pastor seminary school through Jonathan Edwards? 
John Wesley gives us what's known now as Methodist, the Methodism. And through Martin Luther, we have Lutheranism. And then through guys like John Knox, we have Presbyterianism. And we have different sects. But what we have is the church reforming and people finding their roles of everything that's taking place. And then, this is the one you've been waiting for, right? What happens in 1776, baby? America. That's what happens. Right? That's what happens. We're writing America on this board, man. Now there's a new... What is this? That all men were created equal? That what does it look like for a nation to be formed and governed by these principles? You see, these founding fathers and these men and these women were finding their role in God's story. And then as we continue to fast forward and go to 1780 to 1880, we see what's known as the Second Great Awakening. Through the Second Great Awakening, we have two influential guys by the Stone-Campbell movement. This was a reaction to the First Great Awakening where they saw church membership and you could go on an index roll and it doesn't matter if you really love Jesus as long as your name is written down and they come and knock on your door and you give money to the church, then you're in. Well, in the Second Great Awakening, they said, nah, there's got to be more than that. So we have what is known as the nonconformists. That's where we have the General Baptists. That's where we have the Church of Christ. That's where we have the Church of God out of Anderson, Indiana. That's where we have all of these denominations that form in reaction to denominations, which is actually kind of funny when you think about it. But as you fast forward a little bit more, the year 1920 A.D. is super foundational. Because now America has had a world war. It has come out of a world war. And what they realize is, is that people are hungry for this original message again. And so a guy by the name of Billy Sunday does something that nobody's ever done before. Billy Sunday goes back to what John Wesley did. He would travel around from town to town and he would hold large crusades and large revivals. But here's what he focused on. He focused on individual conversions. He would ask the question, are you born again? Just like how Jesus asked Nicodemus. And what we see is a revivalist movement that takes place, which then births to the year 1950, where a young, strapping evangelist from the hills of North Carolina by the name of Billy Graham begins to preach for the youth for Christ and he holds crusades. The nation had never seen one man be able to spread this message so far. And it had such an impact on local area churches that the highest recorded attendance of church in the history of America is between 1950 and 1964. Just ask your parents and your grandparents if they aren't a part of a mainline denomination like a Methodist or a Presbyterian church, most churches, including this physical church, were built during this time period or a little bit after. It was a boom that was taking place. And then as you continue forward, You get to May of 1964. Do you know what that is? 
you know, May 1964. In May of 1964, down over by Walmart, there were 20 people that met in the basement of Margaret and Ted Cross's home. Because on this end of town, there was nothing really in Popper Bluff at the time. And through the Church of God denomination that the church was forming under, there was a real aggressive state coordinator that said, hey, let's send out and let's go to this end of the town. I still have the, the first sermon notes that uh, Ted Cross preached. And we see that West Side begins to form. We see that in 1973, um, a man by the name of Buddy Hoffman is in Atlanta, Georgia. He begins to preach at a church. He stays there for a number of years, and the church just kind of plateaus. It doesn't grow that much anymore. And so Buddy Hoffman said, you know what? Our church is located right by a school. I'm going to start a Bible study in the early 2000s at that school, right before school starts. And the next thing Buddy Hoffman knew is that 200 students were showing up to school. The church blew up in, in a good way in, in numbers, that these kids are getting converted, they're inviting their parents. And this church, the Grace Church, um, had the, a decision to make. They said, we can build one really, really big church, and people can keep coming, and this sucker can be the size of Walmart, and we're going to do the mega church thing, or... We can raise up leaders who plant churches, who send out churches, and we can have a family of churches. And so in the early 2000s, the Grace Family of Churches was formed, by which a month ago, Westside voted to become a Grace Family Church. Hey, listen, listen. From May of 1973... all the way to 33 AD. This is our story. But do you know the question that I have now? That's great, and that's fun, and that's cool. But here's my question. What's next? What's next? Who's next in this? What is our role that is to take place in this story? And so listen, if I was to summarize for you what we're studying and why we even have the name. You can leave that there, it'll be good. The name Rooted in Renegade, it's this. Disciples are rooted. Disciples are rooted in the words of Jesus and renegades in the continued works of Jesus. It comes right there from verse 1. Look at what he says. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. Did you catch it? All that Jesus began to do and teach. Well, why didn't Jesus finish what he started? Because he left it to the church. And the church is rooted in the very words of Jesus. What Jesus said, what he taught. And we are renegades in the works of Jesus, that we're going to the marginalized, that we're, that we're giving away money, that we love people that the world says that can't be loved. And there's this band of misfits, these ordinary people that are filled with the Spirit of God that have found their role in the story in order to pass it on and to continue the kingdom of God to be moved out. So when we look at what it is to be rooted and renegated in the works of Jesus, I want you to think about it this way. There's a great error, and I'll do this in closing. There's a great error when it comes to church. Let's do this. Let's call this 
the words of Jesus, a high view of the words of Jesus, and then this is the works of Jesus. Here's a high view of the works of Jesus. Churches fall in a number of categories. Like we like to say, there's a ditch on either side of the road. Um, sometimes churches have a very high view of the words of Jesus, but a very low view of the works of Jesus. And I would call that the conservative era. You're like, what? We're not conservative? Well, listen, I have no intention to be a conservative church or a liberal church. My goal and vision is to be a biblical church. Because if you're not getting it from the right and you're not getting it from the left, then you're not preaching the message that Jesus is preaching. And so oftentimes, if you have a high view of the words of Jesus, we've got to have Bible studies. We've got to do ivory tower stuff. We've got to memorize. You've got to get that sash that has all the things on it so your mom and dad can go to bed at night knowing that you're going to go to heaven because you've got all the buttons that you were memorized on the thing and all that stuff, right? That's great and that's good. But did you know that Jesus looked at the men and women who had memorized the first five books of the Bible and said, you know God's word, but you're never going to make it into eternity. You're never going to spend eternity with God because you search the scriptures for life and you don't realize that the scriptures turn to me. So there's a high view of the words and low works, but then if you did high works, low words... That's where I would say that's the liberal church's era. That's their error. Because it's, man, we don't need to read the Bible. We've read the Bible enough. We've done, what we need to do is we need to feed the poor, man. That's all we got to do. We need to go dig wells. Man, there's people right now who don't have clean water. And if we're not doing that, how in the world? And listen, we don't need to evangelize them, okay? What we need to do is we need to love them. And we're not going to be all this churchy. Listen, um. Am I interested in giving clean water and feeding people that are hungry? Absolutely. That's the bare minimum of our faith. But please listen to me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We don't just feed someone or give them clean water and then let them go on their way. We also share the gospel with them and say that God has come in the person of Jesus Christ and that your sins can be forgiven and that you can spend eternity with him. And then there's the other error, a church that's low on the words and low on the works. And I just call that the country club. You guys have been at that one, right? Because if we change the color of this carpet, I'm gone, buddy. I'm gone. And, and at that meeting, if we don't, because my great aunt did the thing, and that's the painting right there. If you, uh, buddy, I'm out of here so fast you can't even. You know what happens when churches start arguing over that stuff? They've been off mission for a long time. And they say things like this. My church. We've always, my family, that's great. I love it. I could give a rip, though, because here's why. It's about the message. It's about the message that keeps getting passed. So the church that has the high words and the high works is a New Testament church. That's what we're going to strive for. Listen, it's not going to be perfect. We're going to fumble the ball. But when it comes to this, where are you at? 
Where are you at in this story? You matter. Listen, I believe God has great things in store for us. So in closing, I have two questions. These two questions are going to be our application question at the end of every message through the book of Acts. Every single message, we're only going to ask two questions. The first one is this. What is the Spirit saying to you? And then the second one is this. You ready? It's my favorite. What are you going to do about it? Because, please listen. If you just want to come and listen and sing some songs because it brings up nostalgia about this era, that's great. But you might want to stay home and watch Dr. David Jeremiah. I'm not interested in filling a room full of people that want to listen to a sermon and do nothing. I'm just tired. What does it look like for us with the Bible in our hand and the Spirit of God in our hearts? And listen, not having it figured out. Not having it figured out. And it's not polished. But what it is, is it's the message to be rooted in the words of Jesus and to be renegated by His Spirit. What's the Spirit saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? Heavenly Father, God, we come before you so grateful. Grateful for the story that you've been telling, God. I pray for each and every person that is in this room. God, I pray for each and every person that you've created on purpose and with a purpose. God, I pray that the beginning of this series would be a monumental moment in the life of Westside as we have continued and inherited such a great faith, may we begin to pass this on. God, I think about all those kids that are back there in that room that are going to grow up in the life of this church. God, are they going to be able to tell the story that the baton was passed to us and we carried it on like a Margaret and Ted Cross did? Or are we going to be the ones who came once every two months because it didn't interfere with the soccer schedule? God, forgive us. Do we really believe, Jesus, that the grave is empty and that you're sitting on the throne? Do we really believe that the creator of the universe has come and lived among us? Do we really believe that this good news can change lives? God, be with us. Empower us. We can't do it on our own. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.